This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to Back of the Nest, the Palace Years. I'm Chris Hambling. And tonight we're looking at season 2010-2011. A little bit of a damp squib of a season. And helping me review it are Mr. Mike Scott. Hello, Christopher. Hello. And Patrick O'Connor. Hello, Christopher. Back of the nest, the Palace years. Right, gents, uh, here we go. Before we get into the season itself... Uh, worth picking up where we left off in the previous episode. If you haven't listened to it already, it is on our podcast feed, of course, where presumably you're listening to this. Uh, so we did 2009-10, ending with Palace's administration and obviously CPFC 2010 announcing that they had reached a deal to secure the ground after the Lloyd's protests on the 1st of June. And uh, yeah, setting the scene for for what came in this season. Um, so obviously, first of all, there was a lot to do. Um, the squad had been depleted quite substantially. Uh, I think that's probably a good place to start, gentlemen, because we lost well, we lost a lot of the heroes that we talked about at the back end of last season. Um, so Clint Hill and Sean Derry uh, followed Warnock to QPR. Um, Alan Lee was sold to Huddersfield. Uh, Johnny Ertel sold to Sheffield United. Nick Carr sold to Sydney. Matt Lawrence to Gillingham. Daryl Flahaven back to Portsmouth. Um, uh, who else did we sell? Calvin Andrew was loaned out to Millwall. <laughs> that's in there as well. But I think that's probably the main one. And obviously, uh, Danny Butterfield uh, went on a free to Southampton. And Stern John was just released. And I don't actually know what happened to him after that. Um, but there we are. So lost um, lost a few of the squad and were left with very little. So it meant that Palace had an awful lot of rebuilding to do. And also worth mentioning that in the summer, um, we spoke, obviously we'd spoken to Dougie Friedman relatively, um, I say relatively recently, it's probably about three or four years ago now, but uh, he talked about how it's not just the, the on-field staff that we lost. We lost essentially the whole backroom, uh, obviously when Paul Hart left. So Dougie was retained. And he ended up coming in and cutting the grass, having to pay for supplies out of his own pocket and all sorts of stuff. So it was really, really the club was at a low ebb, even though that takeover had happened. Um, so, so much rebuilding to do. And well, the first 
course of action, of course, was to bring in a new manager. And that manager was George Burley, Patrick. Yeah, um, I was initially quite excited at the appointment of Burley. Um, knowing a little bit about him, I know him as a player, a player I played for Scotland. And I actually was able to find some quotes off of the uh, CPFC uh, dot uk website from Burley. So uh, this is from Monday, June 21st, 2010. Quote, I am coming back to a division that I know very well, having managed Ipswich, Derby and Southampton. I have been fortunate to have reached six playoffs and had success with Ipswich in getting them into the Premiership and finishing fifth. I want to say uh, I've been out of management for the last six months after leaving the International's post with Scotland, which was a great experience. However, I missed the day-to-day involvement when I was with Scotland, and there, this is a great opportunity for me to be part of that day-to-day involvement again. So you're talking about a manager who was, uh, you know, Scotland manager, managed three very decent clubs in Ipswich, Derby, and Southampton and took over a, a, a club which you just stated, Chris. You know, bare bones. We lost some really key players, and people. I understand now now why people are upset at Warnock. I'm not as much, but you know, taking Derry and uh, Clint Hill was was very big to uh, you know to us. But again, these players had to leave for other for reasons, financial in part. I remember actually hearing from a Clint Hill saying that we hadn't been the other man hadn't been paid uh, a lot. So there's a reason players left. So for someone like Birdie to come in, I thought it was a very uh, a kind of great catch for CPFC 2010. Unfortunately, it didn't end up that way. No, absolutely right. And we, we'll get into that. I mean, I remember Steve Parrish talking about uh, the decision to hire Burley and that obviously there'd been rumours floating around um, about drinking and all sorts of other stuff. But I think um, Parrish did the kind of thing that you'd expect of someone coming into football uh, who's been used to running a company and treated it very much like you know how he would hire someone working for him. Um, and did uh, the relevant due diligence, contacted former chairman, all that kind of stuff, and just got glowing reports. And it really did seem like a perfect fit, if you like, a player, you know, a manager who had, like you say, all that experience, knew the division, but also had a, a good reputation for bringing through younger players as well. And um, I think that's where we were as a as a club because of just how many professionals we lost. We really had to look at the youth system and who was left and see who we could bring through. My abiding memory at the time um, was that he had had a really, really bad time as a Scotland manager. Um, And already the summer felt like it had never end because everything was so up in the air, like you say, and and players, no news of whether they were staying or going for a little while. And that that summer went on a long time. So at the time, I've just looked back at... um, Burley's record and he was sacked after a a 3-0 defeat against Wales Um, and so I remember at the time thinking I mean there's not you know we're not in a great bargaining position Um, but I was a little bit worried Um, also a little little stat for the day he was the first Scottish manager in 86 years for Palace uh, since the 1925 appointment of Alex Maley who for some inexplicable reason, actually has a Wikipedia page and the man dons a fine hat. That's about all I know. Uh, Patrick, do you remember him? I knew that was coming. I know it. I I do not remember him. Sorry. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. We'll have to check, you know. But what what was weird was it ended up obviously being, spoiler alert, two Scottish managers in a row. So, yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely right. I'm going to run through a few of the, the players that we uh, that we signed in this period where we really just had to fill that squad. Um, obviously, gents, I'll give you a chance once I've been through them all to, to talk about your memories of some of them uh, and what they contributed or didn't contribute to the cause. But um, obviously, Klein had established himself. We still had Jules in goal. But we brought in David Wright, initially, I believe, as a left-back um, before Dougie converted him to a, uh, a central defensive midfielder. Uh, Adam Barrett came in, uh, had an absolute blinder against Chelsea in pre-season and did very little else. Uh, we brought in James Vaughan. Uh, I think that was a loan, wasn't it? Um, before we eventually potentially signed him permanently um, later on in the season. But uh, the hat-trick against Portsmouth, a particular memory there. Later in the year, we brought in Stefan Everson. Uh, but start of the season, Owen Garvin joined us, a player with a big reputation at Ipswich. Um, took a while to settle with us before eventually leaving, but was uh, definitely contributed. Andy Dorman. Come on, guys. Andy Blooming Dorman. Um, there's a whole thing to talk about with Andy Dorman shortly. Uh, Lewis Price came in as sort of backup goalkeeper. Um, Julian Bennett was signed at one stage um, as a, uh, he was a fullback option at left back. Brought in Jermaine Easter. Um, brief spell for Edgar Davids, which we'll talk about as well. Um, Jonathan Obika, the perhaps worst ever loan signing, absolutely terrible. Alex Marrow, who was superb for a very short spell, talked about as potentially you know the new Jeff Thomas and all that before fading away. Anthony Gardner, who was a fantastic signing for us, really short up at the back. Uh, Pablo Cunago, Cunago, I can never pronounce it properly, uh, also joined us, played for most of the season, scoring a massive two goals. Um, Kenny Augustine was a late uh, loan in from Swansea. And of course, it was the season where we signed KG as well. Lots of player names there. Patrick, jump in first. Yeah. Um, if you don't mind, I'll skip over the Andy Dorman comment I've had in my head. Um, I, have to, I have to admit, you know, considering it was so the scattergun approach, David Wright, Lewis Price, and Anthony Gardner were huge for us the following season in that uh, League Cup run. I mean, absolutely fantastically huge. So it's really strange how they may have an impact that season the following year. Those three were absolutely brilliant for us. So I have to give whoever credit. I'm not going to, I guess I'm going to credit various people because some of them came in during Burley and some of them came in during uh, Dougie's uh, reign. But no, those three guys in particular did a great job for us the following season. Uh, kudos to them. Absolutely right. Any any favourites in there for you, Mike? Uh, that that James Vaughan hat-trick, definitely. But I don't remember him doing too much else. He came down from the Premier League from, who was it from? Everton. Everything. Everything, yeah. Um, yeah, those three, and then I'm not, I can't actually remember him scoring more than about one more than that. But um, yeah, uh, I think you're about seven that seven. season. Um, but of course, he was the youngest at the time before I think Rooney broke it. He was the youngest scorer in the top division with a goal against Palace, which is fairly typical. Of He's still only thirty now, so um, I mean, that's... he still plays, doesn't he? I saw him in the Sunderland, um, Sunderland documentary. He's still playing. Yeah. Amazing. He's at Portsmouth now. So, yeah, that's that's the abiding memory from the first bit of the season, definitely. Yeah, I mean, a few, few players to pick out for me. I mean, obviously, Andy Dorman was just... I, he did score one goal, one goal for us um, in a 4-3 defeat to Preston. And get this, right? This, this shows you what a weird season it was. Andy Dorman scored with a header 
from a Pad- Paddy McCarthy cross. Honestly, that was the season we had. It was it was absolutely bizarre. Um, you know, spoiler alert, we finished the season in 20th and, and didn't get relegated or anything like that, but really didn't put anything like a particularly good run together for quite a while. Spent a lot of time languishing uh, towards the bottom of the table. And um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk more about that. I also want to bring to attention the fact that we did, and we talked about this before we started the recording, but we actually um, did blood. Uh, oh, sorry, I forgot to mention Stuart O'Keefe. People will murder me for that, but we brought him in um, later on in the season. Uh, Dougie brought him in from, from South End, and obviously a bit of a cult hero at Palace for many. Uh, but we did blood some youngsters as well. Last game, uh, sector last game of the season against Hull to secure our safety. Uh, Ibris Sicario, of course, uh, scored on his one and only appearance for us uh, before drifting down the leagues. Uh, Nathaniel Pinney, uh, who for quite a while in the under 23s and under 18s kept Wilfred Zaha on the bench, um, was a fairly chunky striker by that point and went on to become chunkier and lower down in the leagues. <laughs> um, but we also, again, we the two, the two Kieran's, Kieran Kadugan and Kieran Jalali, uh, also featured relatively heavily uh, as youth players, and we'll talk more about those in a sec. But one of the players that I've got a little story about, which I may have told on the show before, uh, was Matthew Parsons. Matt Parsons uh, played as, as a left-back. So a couple of seasons after this, uh, I think a year before he left us, I, was, uh, I went to the, when they used to hold the, um, end of season doing a marquee on the pitch. Um, I went oh, a couple of couple of years in a row. I went there, and um, one of the one of the years I went, I was with a bunch of people who, let's face it, we were all hammered and having a good time. And one of my friends decided, in fact, two of my friends decided that they would go and on the sort of silent auction, put my name down for various sums of money on every single shirt. Which is a hilarious joke, isn't it? A really funny, funny joke. Uh, and I was the proud winner of a Matthew Parsons match-worn shirt. Okay, so that's that's the first part of the story. The second part of the story is when I found out that I had to pay £60 for a match-worn Matthew Parsons shirt. As I handed over the money, I went on a massive long rant about how, why on earth would I want to spend £60 of my hard-earned money on a match-worn Matthew Parsons shirt? And as I said those words, yeah, he was standing directly behind me. And I had, and I caught him out of the corner of my eye, and I had to just try and backpedal. And I was like, I mean, I rate him as a player, but I haven't got sixty quid to spend on a match worn shirt. And I was just like, I had to sort of do that. But that, I mean, that that still, if I think about that, it still keeps me awake. It, it was. Hard. Did he say nothing? Nothing. He had to play it cool, pretend he didn't hear. But it, he he heard. I knew he heard. I knew that my backpedalling was of absolutely no use, and it was horrible—a horrible, horrible, shameful moment. Have you still got it, or did you eBay? It? Oh, eBay, well, it it. eBay. My question exactly. Later. Thank you, Mike. eBay. Mm. Well, the good thing was it was a, a long sleeve. So long sleeve match worn shirts, whoever's name is name is on it, um, actually go pretty well. So I think I got my money back for it, which was was alright in the end. But um, well, I hope he's not listening. <laughs> well, if he is, honestly, mate, I thought you were really good, and I'm very surprised you didn't go on to have a a, a more prominent career. I think injuries did take their toll uh, when it 
when he went off to uh, I think Barnet and a, and a couple of others. But um, I thought he was a, a good player. He was one of those with a, not a huge amount of talent, but a fantastic attitude towards the game. I think that stood him in good stead. There you go. Well recovered. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. But come on, mate. 60 quid for your shirt. You wouldn't pay that. <laughs> right. Okay. Um, another one to pick out, obviously. Let's talk a little bit about Edgar Davids. Um, I know it was obviously later. Well, not that much later. But it was... I mean, we we signed him him not having played for a year. Um, lots of excitement, lots of people buying David shirts. And um, I think it was the early game against Queen's Park Rangers, wasn't it, that absolutely saw to him. Um, I think we play, when was that? That was, not that I'm looking it up as we speak. That uh, was the start of October. Was uh, that the game where he made a ridiculous error and we lost the game? Like, Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it was style. Yeah, we we played him at left back, didn't we? That was that's yeah. the first thing that we did. And I think a lot of people were like, well, play, play him in centre mid, play him in centre mid. So we actually played him in centre mid. Now the un, the unsought spoken story of it was that uh, Queen QPR had um, Adele Terapt at that time, who was absolutely brilliant in that division. Um, and David's actually spent the rest of the game near enough marking him out, barring. Uh, to Rapp's goal um, early in the second half. But other than that, he kept him so quiet, did a really good job on him. But the horrendous back pass that, that you know, that, that actually led to that goal, that's that's what people unfortunately remember. Um, and that pretty much killed him uh, in a Palace shirt. But we were so excited, weren't we, for that brief period of having a Dutch legend in the team. How could you not be, though? I mean, Edgar Darby's played for Ajax, Milan... Juventus, Barcelona, Inter. The man won the back then the UEFA Cup. He won the European Cup. I mean, he's part of one of the best Dutch teams that ever played. You know, playing with you know Koeman and those guys. I mean, and of course <laughs> our former manager. I mean, but it was a real shame that it ended the way it ended because I'm telling you, having Edward Davis in your team, you know, is, to me, for the six matches that it lasted and it was not good, was actually quite a thrill for me as a Palace fan. It really was. I, I was going to ask because I'm not really old enough to remember. How does that compare with Lombardo? I, I, I think Lombardo played, what, he played 20-odd games, I think, didn't he? Uh, I mean, yeah, they're, they're sort of chalk and cheese. I remember Lombardo vividly. And um, he was a player who who joined us and delivered more, even more than you'd actually expect. It didn't feel real that we'd bought him. But then when we actually saw him play, it was it was just ridiculous just how much better he was than everybody else. It was only really Matt Jansen, I think, that linked up with him on a on any kind of level that he was at um, for a brief spell when the two played together. And it, yeah, and the fact that he then went on and won the league title in Italy you know, a couple of seasons after, and it was, yeah, that just shows you what you need to know about Lombardo. But... Yeah, Davids was was not at that sort of level when we got him. And it's a shame because part of me kind of thinks he could have been if things had just gone a little bit different. But I do think the year out from playing was possibly the biggest factor there because it would have taken him a long, long time to get up to speed. And it was a very physical league. You didn't get a lot of time. And, you know, he's something of a bit of a Rolls-Royce of a player, really. Um, didn't suit us at the time. But uh, certainly, yeah, something to something to talk about and reminisce about, and it it doesn't feel quite so bad now. You can look back at it and sort of laugh a little bit. It's it's interesting. You'd wonder who whoever it was now that you'd get a thirty seven year old 
join a side. I mean, I, I, I don't think that there's the, the, even in the championship, I don't really think there's the space for, for that kind of luxury. Um, it's, yeah, it's amazing how much football's come on in, in less than a decade. Yeah, Mike, that player's coming to MLS now, honestly. So you're absolutely right that that wouldn't happen yeah. anymore. Indeed, indeed. So, Obviously, we've we've run through a, a few of the ins and outs transfer-wise, um, not just at the start, throughout the course of the season. But we were building a squad, um, trying to trying to get a, a system going on George Burley. Um, as far as results went, uh, I think we we, didn't, we had a shaky start. But the, the the opening game I remember vividly. It was first season for me um, in in the lower tier of the Homesdale Block C at the time, on the stairs by Block B. Um, I'd been in the main stand prior to that and um, experienced all the glory of that. Uh, but but uh, in the Homesdale, it was um, obviously a, a very different story. And um, the opening game of the season, you, you kind of that that's, you think that's going to set the tone for you. And we were three 0 up against Leicester at half time. Uh, a certain Wilfred Zaha uh, scoring after nineteen minutes from an Alan Lee flick on. And again, I vividly remember that um, and all the talk because he he had a sub appearance against Cardiff the season before. And he was really lively, really, really quick. You didn't quite see the the dazzling skills that we know him for now, but um, you saw a proper attitude. You know, he was screaming at players for not passing to him, putting himself about, even though he was uh, quite a skinny kid back then, um, at 16, coming on 17. And for him to start the season, starting up front with Alan Lee was, you know, obviously fantastic to see. And just lifting the ball over the keeper was a really good finish. And we wondered, you know, what on, what on earth have we got here? Um, and we got to find out throughout the course of the next few years. Um, Darren Ambrose uh, uh, scored after that uh, with a typical Darren Ambrose finish. Of course, 20, 20 odd goals a season before. I think he only got seven throughout the course of the whole season. This year, again, reflects kind of how things went for the club. Uh, and then Alan Lee, just before half time, put us 3 0 up and we were absolutely dominating. Um, but Leicester did come back into the second half and uh, by the end of the end of the game it was only a 3-2 victory but everyone was really positive I can remember after that we thought you know this is this is great we've got a, a proper manager and we've managed to rebuild the team straight away so brilliant you know let's let's kick on from here and unfortunately after that we lost 1-0 to Barnsley 2-1 to Ipswich 3-0 to Scunthorpe which that was a brutal game uh, then 3-0 to Reading uh, consecutive 3-0 defeats again that just brings you right down um but then I think that was when we signed James Vaughan on loan. And in his first game, we took on Portsmouth. And my memories of this game, guys, were, were pretty strong as well. It was, we had Kieran Jalali on one wing and uh, Kieran Cadogan on the other uh, with, with Vaughan up front. One four one Vaughan hat-trick uh, with Dan scoring a fairly late penalty. But it was really the, the two Kierans that lit up that game absolutely tall Portsmouth apart. I mean, it was four we scored. We could have scored so many more. Uh, Cadogan in particular was absolutely outrageous that day. And again, you can't help but get excited at times like that. You've got two academy kids playing out of their skin. And you just think, what, what, you know, again, we've suddenly, all the, you know, we're thinking what we're going to do with this squad to make it better. And all of a sudden, these two kids are, are giving you the answer straight away. But just unfortunately, they couldn't, couldn't sustain it. Um, I know back then, Patrick, it, it was difficult for you to actually watch games because they weren't they weren't on TV much. But you know, I know you, you, you. Nothing makes you happier than seeing young players given a chance, and and Birdie did that, didn't he? 
Yeah, you were just spot on. I was, I'm looking through the pictures you're talking about. You've got your memory's brilliant, by the way. And I don't remember seeing those games, but they did have a highlight show. But because Palace was so low in the division, they didn't really show a lot of Palace highlights. But I do remember seeing a little bit of Jalali and Kadogan. And like you just said, I love, you know, the fact that Cami players get the chance. And I get, I understand now why things we don't get the chance in the Premier League. But I really wish that we'd find a way to get, because you're talking about their Zaha scannel, you know, both Kieran's and you just mentioned Matt Parson. You're talking about maybe seven or eight, nine players during the course of that season, maybe even 10 that got a chance. And I know it's a championship when you finished, as you mentioned, 20th, but it's a real shame because despite having a really poor season, look at your memory and how you you picked out, you know, Wilf goal and those two doing so well. It's because of, you know, that you can you can just relate more to those players than you can to others. So it's, it's again, it's a shame. I really would love it for us to get more kids involved, but I do understand. But again, you're right. Those Kieran's, for that little short amount of time, they were very exciting to for me to read about and hear about, not much to see, but it was great to have to see them get a chance to play. Maybe I'm more glass half empty than you guys, but um, the game that sticks in my memory from that period, and this was after quite a few defeats, was the Millwall defeat at home. Um, and I was actually there with a Millwall fan. Um, that really, that really sucked. Um but looking down the uh, looking down the scores to remind myself, uh, Seth Dicucci scoring the fifth when Derby beat us five nil. Um, yeah, I, I, maybe I, maybe I just better at remembering the defeats. But um, I would believe me, I, I was I was getting there. I was getting there. I mean that 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 Millwall game really does lead us into um, our, our sort of the second part of the season, if you like. But going back to that that the Derby game you mentioned there, because of course we'd we'd seen. James Vaughan get a hat trick, and we were really excited to see. And we followed it up as we we often do when we have a great victory and a brilliant performance. We like to follow those up with nil nils. So we had a nil nil against Burnley, uh, but the five nil against Derby, Vaughan was sent off after twenty one minutes when we were already one nil down. But it just absolutely fell to pieces in that game. It was really brutal to watch. And uh, again, followed that up with a nil nil against Cardiff. Then the defeat I mentioned, the Edgar Davids defeat against QPR, and um. The first defeat against Millwall, we lost 1-0 with uh, Claude Davis being sent off in, in the last minute as well, was, was pretty poor. So by mid-October, we were we were right down the bottom of the league there and, and struggling. And obviously, Burley was already starting to feel a bit of pressure, um, especially after the, the the first Millwall defeat, because fans don't like losing to rivals. Um, and it, it can really set the tone for how the fans view a manager, uh, as we've seen you know, the season just gone, of course. Um, so. We did sort of pick up a, 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 an away victory at Norwich. Um, That's when Julian Bennett had come in on loan to, to help bolster the defence, and he actually got the opening goal there uh, before Anthony Gardner uh, scored the other. So it was a nice 2-1 win against Norwich. And again, green shoots and recovery. But uh, as I mentioned earlier on, we then had a 4-3 defeat to Preston, where Dorman scored his first and only goal for Palace. But again, we play, we seem to play Preston an awful lot during that period, and we tended to be on the losing side of those games. Um, so again, no real consistent performances other than the consistency of defeats. That followed was followed by a three 0 defeat against Swansea, a two one defeat against Middlesbrough, um, and then just a little boost, just that little something where we got a couple of back to back wins just to keep us in the hunt. Um, Ambrose scoring three goals in two games as we beat Watford 3-2 and Coventry 2-0 um, 
going into sort of November. And as you get into November in that division, of course, you know you're you're coming into a, a hectic Christmas period um, and, and plenty plenty to do. And uh, one thing I noticed from the Watford game, because that, that is one fit through the sticks in my head, uh, one of their goal scorers was none other than Jordan Much. I did not remember that at all. Bloody yeah. hell, no. I, I, that That is something that wow. I can't really cope with, <laughs> to be wow. honest with you. Jordan much scoring in a game against Palace, I just don't remember it. Uh, <laughs> bloody hell, that is, that, that's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. So uh, leading up to the, the game you mentioned, the 3-0 defeat against Millwall, um, Palace picking up uh, just the one victory, a 1-0 win against uh, Doncaster Rovers with Pablo Cunhago scoring. Uh, but after that, defeats to Leeds, uh, heavy defeat to Forest, a couple of draws here and there, Hull and Bristol City. So we're going to, you, we got through the Christmas period, a hit the New Year's Day game, Burley under huge amounts of pressure and a certain Jason Punchin scored a hat-trick and celebrate, really celebrated a hat-trick as well. Um, and it was in that the post-match, basically, that Steve Parrish sacked George Burley. That was enough. And if anything, what makes you wonder, the people do question, oh, you know, is Steve Parrish really a fan? That shows you that Steve Parrish is really a fan because you're going to sack a manager after losing 3 new to Millwall. You don't even pause. You're like, right, not having this, he's gone. And he, and, he, and he went. Back of the nest, the Palace years. George coming into the club uh, with a few weeks to go I think you know you know, pre-season started you know it was difficult to pick up the pace so that knocked us back that knocked us back for two or three months in fact we started okay but for two or three months we didn't quite have the players that uh, George wanted or you know wanted to get in it was frustrating for him at the time I just felt it wasn't working for us and I felt that George absolutely was going to stick to his principles and I understood that but I felt if he did we'd get relegated Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Well, interesting uh, comments. Dougie was obviously suggesting that, um, you know, George Burley was a little unfortunate and it took him, you know, he came into the club quite late in pre-season. It took him a while to get used to the pace of everything, but also that he didn't quite have the players he wanted. So few excuses there really for, for Burley. Uh, Parrish a little bit more unforgiving in, in pointing out that, you know, George Burley was going to stick to playing how he wanted to play and, and wasn't going to deviate and that, that if that was the way we were going to continue, that you know Steve Parrish felt we were going down. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. I, I mean, I remember it vividly, and I, I certainly 100% behind the sacking in the wake of what happened against Millwall. Um, 
and I, and I wouldn't say that you know George Bailey didn't go on to another club after that and, and achieve great things or anything like that. So there's nothing really to point out to point to that being anything other than the correct decision. But I don't know. I do have some sympathy for for the players' situ- situation around players because we went and signed plenty of players after after replacing Burley, uh, many of whom made made quite a difference. Um, so, and, I, and like I said before, there were some games throughout the the Burley period that we, I thought we played some incredible football. And if we could just kept that standard in every game, which is obviously a huge ask, but um, I, I genuinely wonder what could have been. I suppose my recollection at the time um, was that I thought, you know, virtually anyone it it, it was decent to watch, but virtually anyone could have sort of shored up the defence a little bit more. Um, so I was I was fairly happy. Um, and, and looking at it, um, Burley never actually went on to, to really do anything else. It looks like he's been retired since very soon after that. So um, whether the Scotland thing never uh, quite left his memory, I, I don't know. But at the time, I was very happy. And obviously, as Palace fans, we always have that weird thing where we sort of have this addiction to getting old players back in the frame all the time um and when it was Dougie announced then I mean I was over the moon um I I listened back recently to what Paris said how he got the job um and it didn't sound as though he was by any means the first choice but he sort of talked his way around he said he spoke to him for three hours um and uh, persuaded him that he was the person that knew the squad and, and knew what to do with the tools that he had so yeah, for me then and, and now, I just don't have a problem when managers leave, um, except that they leave, you know, for greedy reasons. I mean, I've, I just try and look at the circumstances that surround the leaving and, and then look at the fact that, you know, if things aren't going right, you've got to make a change of some kind. And a lot of times, you know, you talk about that, um, new manager bounce or whatever. And, uh, like I said, as long as the, the reasoning is, you know, for in this case, we just want just things weren't working. And I think Mike make a great point. I think Scotland really jaded um, Burley. I think the experience of not doing well there tried to make it to go a bit of pass. He had the right intent, but you know, coming in in the circumstances he had, it, it was going to be difficult for him to hang in there. And again, that loss to to Millwall was was, was just a, it was just a death knell for him. Yeah, for sure. Um... I mean, obviously, on the subject of Dougie taking over, I can remember the sort of debates we were having on the Homesdale.net message board at the time. And I I vividly remember posting almost wearily, just we might as well just give it to Dougie. He knows the squad. He wants the job. Um, Whoever, if we bring someone else in, it's likely, you know, he's going to have to leave the club. And he's made all these sacrifices, sacrificed the last year or two of his playing career to come back and help out Palace when we were in a dire situation. And it just felt like the right thing to do for me because, you know, how how could he, essentially, how could he do a worse job than, than what we'd just seen? Uh, so I think for me, it was it was almost a no-brainer. I don't know who the other candidates were, but um, and, and as it panned out, it, it, it was a turning point in our history. You know, it's funny you say that, Chris, because I want to go to couple of quotes that Burley made about Friedman the day he was uh, named back in 2010 June he says at the moment we have got no coaching staff at the club and I was very fortunate that Dougie has agreed to join me as he has a lot of knowledge of this club it's fallen into place very well I remember Dougie as a player and he played against me numerous times he's a very clever enthusiastic intelligent person on the coaching side and last season he and Paul Hart did a fantastic job 
in keeping the club in this division. So I was very pleased with that. He knows the players inside and out, and that will be a great help for me. And as you just said, you know, he ended up being a decent manager. So I, I even barely recognise that. But that's very interesting. And one more thing on Burley. He actually just about, of, of any manager other than the odd caretaker, any manager in recent years, and obviously let's ignore Frank De Boer, um, did end up with the, the, the lowest win ratio. Um, so, you know, in times like these, you wonder if he'd have even got as long as he did. Um, if, it, if it had been now, if it had been this season and he was managing, I don't think he'd have lasted as long as he did. No, you're probably right. And again, it's always, I just remember being feeling slightly different at the time. Um, again, I suppose perhaps it didn't, it didn't have the kind of intensity that we have now, you know, being a Premier League club. And um, you know the, the the degree of scrutiny on every single minute of every single game. I think back then it was. I mean, again, it's still a results business, and the bottom line is the results weren't weren't up to it. So look, there wasn't. We'll, we'll get into the second half of the season, but there was also something else that happened um, at the turn of the year of twenty eleven. And I'll be removing my headphones for the upcoming clip. We launched a certain little show, live show, called Homestyle Radio. Hi, and welcome to Homestyle.net Radio, the Palace show available for free worldwide, both live and as a podcast shortly after the show is finished. My name is Chris Hamblin, and with me once again are Ben Nagel. Hello. And Ferhad Zaidi. Hi, everyone. Uh, as always, we'd appreciate you getting in touch throughout the show, and you can do that in a number of ways. Back of the nest, the Palace years. So I hope you enjoyed that little clip down memory lane. Um, Mike, when did you start listening to Homestyle Radio? I, I, I very rarely listen to uh, live stuff, I've got to say. Uh, at the time, uh, I was addicted to the forums on homesdale.net, but I don't think I started until... Oh, certainly the Premier League ever. Um, so I apologise profusely for that. That is upsetting. How about you, Patrick? When did you start delving into what we did? Um, I'm going to say the season that we got to the League Cup semi-final. So the next season, 2011-12? Oh, well, there you go. That's maybe your second, proper... your second year, right, probably? Yeah, you got proper vintage. I'll let yeah. you off. <laughs> let me off. Bit upset with Mike. Yeah, no, say. definitely that. Remember, you have to understand getting palace information in this country is very difficult. So when I found you guys and I found the other chapter I mentioned, it was really it was it was it was great to hear fans of my favorite team talking about palace. And then I got interactive on Twitter and joining the show, etc. So no, it was uh, it was it was it was a godsend. It really was. As I say, at the, at the time. I was working in Alders in Croydon, um, which obviously had um, Palace shopping. It was the the only other place you could get any Palace stuff from, um, and the the staff there, you know, to a person were Palace fans. So um, it was sort of back in the era where actual like chatting and word of mouth and things like that happened. It's, uh, nice. Oh yeah, what well, face yeah. face interactions yeah. and stuff. Well, yeah. Crazy, isn't it? Absolutely crazy to think about them. Well, the opening lineup was uh, was me, um, Ben Nagel, and Ferhad Zaidi. Um, yeah, yeah, it, it was. I'll tell you, it was a very interesting experience. I think I had. I still think it was about eight hours' notice that I was going to be presenting. Someone else was supposed to be presenting. Um, 
but uh, very, very much glad that we got into it. And oh, look how far we've come, eh? Oh, how yeah. far indeed. Yeah, yeah. Ah, but anyway, anyway, can't be too self-referential. Let's uh, let's go on with looking at the 2010-2011 season. We've talked a lot about um, the blooding of youth and all that kind of stuff, but I just want to get into the results after Dougie took over because you're hoping, obviously, for something of a bounce after the 3-0 defeat against Millwall. And we did straight away. Um, we signed Stefan Everson, formerly of, of Tottenham, a big Norwegian striker. And he scored a, a what I remember to be a, a very fine header against Preston to win us the game 1-0. And again, you just immediately start dreaming as a Palace fan. But Everson was an interesting player. Um, I don't know how what your memories are of him. Uh, Mike, is he a player that you were uh, that you admired from afar at Spurs, and were quite surprised we got? Uh, I absolutely loved him. Um, I didn't know a, a great deal about him before he came to Palace, um, but he's definitely one of my abiding memories. Um, I didn't, I didn't remember that header. I've got to say, um, but I did rewatch it um, the other day, and uh, yeah, he was great, wasn't he? I, I don't know if he's still playing or not. I, I think don't he know was seventy, if he wasn't. In a slight exaggeration, but I, I would assume 42. he's long retired. I think yeah. Yeah. forty-two. I think he went, went back to Rosenberg, didn't he? Anyway, probably not the time to, uh, to start thinking wistfully about Stefan Everson's later career. Um, but that that new manager bounce didn't last too long. We lost three 0 to Swansea in the next game. Uh, and it would take until the uh, 5th of February um, in a 1-0 victory against Middlesbrough for us to get another win. Uh, but then we started picking up wins here and there. We beat Sheffield United 1-0. There was a very interesting game where we beat... Uh, sorry, we drew 3-3 with, with Reading, um, which, oh, again, I vividly remember that because we started, started with an Ambrose goal in the first minute and, and just uh, went 2-0 up from Neil Dance. And then... Um, Jimmy Kebe, remember him? Started to really inspire Reading. Um, and that horrific individual, Shane Long, scored first. Then it was Kebe himself. Uh, then poked our noses ahead from Jermaine Easter before ex-Palace youth Stephen Hunt. Was that Steve? It was Steve Hunt at the time. It was Noel Hunt who went and played for Reading after that, um, his brother. But yeah, um, Steve Hunt made it 3-3, but a very entertaining game. And that's where we started to play some decent football. And um, it became relatively enjoyable to start watching Palace again. Uh, I think one thing we haven't mentioned, it's probably quite a lot to do with it, is Dickichoy coming in as well. Um, and I think it, he did score before the end of the season as well. Um, yeah, when they, we beat Cardiff 1-0. I remember KG scoring in that game. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and he, um, he made a huge difference to us. It, 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 I think he'd built something of a, of a decent reputation. It was linked with some bigger clubs the, the season before. I don't know if it was, I assume it was a World Cup he played in or something like that. Um, but uh, I remember us being linked with him, and he'd been. I think we, I think we got him for something like four hundred k in the end, which um, which was a fantastic deal. You think about what he contributed to the club. Uh, yes, he got a little bit chunky at times, but he was an excellent player. And um, you know, I think most people's favourite moment from him might well be the the past bizarre second against Brighton, maybe uh, in the playoffs, but contributed massively in, in plenty of games. I remember at the time it, it, it was quite big because the, the, the South Africa World Cup had been in, in 2010 um, and he'd featured for the South African national side. So it, it did, it, it felt like um, 
it felt to me at the time like we were sort of getting back on track after the administration to, to pull that off because you're right there were there were various other clubs interested in um and I've, i would say probably i can't think of a palace fan that wouldn't have anything other than fond memories of him yeah um my favorite memory actually chris because i saw it, it was a friday evening game going to chart and the goal that he scored and then celebration runs runs to the side and does a weird little dance in the corner. That's my memory of KG. I think it was a, the same season that get the Brighton uh, playoff. It was uh, just the the beat chart on that for him to score was actually quite brilliant. Well, obviously we'll talk about it in a future episode of Back to the Nest, the Palace years, of course. But I do want to, I will give my uh, my story from that Charlton game. I'll do it now because um, you know not just because we desperately need content, but because <laughs> it's just it's in my brain. Um, that game was it's one of those so during this period I'd I'd really got into I mean I'd been going to games regularly as a season ticket holder but I got into away games quite a lot this, this you know the season after this I think I did every it's the season after this that I did every single game home and away for the whole season um and I yeah I'll be honest with you I was drinking very very heavily at the time quite an, how on earth I did the show I have no idea because I guarantee you this now, if you were to listen back to it, there are games where I'm talking about the match and I have actually got no memory whatsoever from being completely blackout drunk. And I have no idea how we how we managed, but we did manage. But this the Charlton game was one where we just, I think it just, it, one of those great days where you, you sort of meet up with a bunch of other random Palace fans. It was in the Barrow Boy and Banker at uh, London Bridge. And we just seemed that everybody turned up there. We completely took that pub over. It ended up, you know, spilling out onto the, uh, the paths outside. There was sort of queues of people down the street, and it was just absolute carnage in there. And I, I was very, I got I had a profile picture on Facebook for years from it. From there was, I was in the middle, looking really angry and confused. There was uh, mate Liam wearing my glasses. There was a very confused looking Mark Ross and a very young looking Ben Nagel all in the picture. And it was, it was just brilliant, brilliant times being a Palace fan. It didn't really matter about the results. It was just we we're just enjoying ourselves, but. Um, and I remember we got this is where my memory starts gets really 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 hazy so I've only got second hand information about this but we went to once we travelled to the to Charlton's ground we went to a pub near the station and again just absolutely took it over so apparently I got up on a table and I, there was some netting uh, at the top on the, on the ceiling of the pub and I pulled it down and as I pulled it down I jumped back off the table and a cowboy hat basically fell out of this netting and landed basically landed in my in my hands and without pausing and without looking i frisbeed it across the whole pub and apparently according to my mate i frisbeed it directly onto a man's head <laughs> and he proceeded to jump around celebrating having had no idea where this cowboy hat he was wearing came from and my mate says it's one of the funniest things he's ever seen and i had i had i just didn't know that i'd done it at all and i was completely oblivious to everyone celebrating didn't know why but good memories, really. Let's say back then it was just so much fun supporting Palace. Just a little diversion. We're not advocating uh, drinking to excess at all. No, but- no. Um, and just to emphasise that point, I now have hypertension and type two diabetes as a direct result of following Palace every game home and away for the best part of two years. So um, I definitely don't advocate it. Anyway, so we're we're pretty close to wrapping this up. So. Um, We'll just get into the, the the handful of the last few games, which is um, really a win against Leeds and that draw against Hull that kept us up. Um, and then we'll pretty much draw it to a conclusion. Have we got any um, old tweets or best and worst memories, the two of you? Uh, yes. I, well, 
again, uh, there wasn't, there's not a great deal of Facebook and Twitter to go back on from this era. Although I reckon by about two episodes more, we should we should get to the era of social media and people having comments. But the one thing I did pick up on was was a Facebook post from myself in 2011, um, holding a Palace Ale, um, and uh, Palace Ale was launched in 2011, uh, and and there's now. Yeah, I think I put something like uh, beer and palace, uh, two of my favourite things have finally come together. Uh, and it has become a staple to the point where I can't remember a time before Palace Ale and before £4 pints. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I will definitely talk about that. Patrick, what you got? I specifically remember um, the whole City match uh, back then. Best way to follow Paz was on the BBC shortwave. And for some reason, that match was the commentary, the second half. And I remember when... So Cage's goal was a very late goal, wasn't it? Or mid late. So I went absolutely crazy in my house. My wife was going, asking what was wrong with me. So I remember that game and that goal particularly. I just went absolutely nuts. I knew it kept us up that year. Right, so we're getting to the end of the season now, obviously. You know, Dougie's limping us home. Let's face it, we had defeats uh, against Scunthorpe, uh, a def- uh, draw against Doncaster. Going into the three last games, we had Leeds, Hull, and Nottingham Forest, uh, and really need to pick needed to pick up uh, at least four points. Beat Leeds, uh, very early goal from Neil Dans, um, who was then sent off in the eighth minute of extra time, if you can believe it. But uh, that was a vital victory, and that really set us up for something special but really low on players going into the Hull game and, and early on Anthony Gerrard put Hull um, 1-0 up uh, in the first half and, and Palace were struggling a little bit and, and just really had to have a late rally and Patrick they had a late rally yeah I've noticed that Ibiza Cage is the same age as my son born in 1992 which is amazing it's the same age as Wolf also so on that day for some reason um, BBC 5 Alive had that Hull's Palace match as a second half commentary so the best way for me to follow Palace back then was via the radio so I'm listening to the game and it's very late in the game and uh, all of a sudden we score that goal according to this is the 88th minute equaliser and I went nuts in my house jumping up and down and my wife didn't understand why I said Palace is going to stay up and she says you know and I and I said she goes why I said well I think we can get a point today we'll, and then obviously uh game ends and we stay up and it was just an amazing moment and I've, and I've been through so many relegations with Palace I really have been through way too many it was really a great feeling that day when they were able to stay up so that was one of my biting memories of that entire yeah, day season it, it, I remember it feeling again I, I I wasn't I remember not being at the Hull game and being annoyed that I couldn't go but it was comparable in terms of the relief when the goal went in to the, to the Sheffield Wednesday game. It's yes, not quite exactly, intense, yeah, a year before, but yeah. yeah, in terms of the celebrations, that was the, that was the moment of the season where it was the relief. We weren't going to drop down a division. We could build again for next year. We had Dougie as a manager, and at the time, we were you know let's try and keep a manager for God's sake for some period of time. Spoiler alert: we don't, um, <laughs> and uh, it just. It just, you know, it, it felt very, very good. And the fact it was this young lad on his debut, it just, it just, want, I remember it, he won, basically wandered off the bench, got involved a little bit, but it was, I don't know if his, his first touch, I think it actually was, but it was only a couple of yards out from the goal line, but he just smashed it in the net and ran off going absolutely insane. And it's a shame he never, never went on to play 
uh, any any meaningful games for us after that, unfortunately. But um, still a great moment for him, and probably one he he looks back on with a with a lot of fondness. The the last game I got to see that season was the Leeds game, um, and that in my mind is is Neil Dan's like that that's the career defining game, um, that amazing tackle that got in the red card at the end of the game. Um, so for, for the whole game. I was I was on tour and and sort of back in those days I, I didn't have an internet connection on my phone, so I was I don't know I was on the M1 or something. So I didn't find out until the radio gave the update, um, uh, you know that, that that we were safe at the end of the game, um, and being being with a bunch of people from Brighton uh, at the time, uh, including Brighton and Hove Albion fans. Um, I was I was happy in the van and nobody else gave a flying toss. Uh, yeah, that that, <laughs> that that was that was yeah. Just that kind of memory makes you think that it wasn't that long ago that um, it was a lot harder to follow Palace than it is now. I know. Can you imagine it, kids, not having internet on your phone and having to listen to the radio to know what happened with Palace? Unbelievable, isn't it? I want to qualify. It wasn't BBC Five Live. Actually, it was BBC World Service, which is a little different. They take the feed from BBC, but they go into like different matches, and for some reason. They switched to the Palace match right as he scored that goal. So, but it was. That's why it was so exciting for me, yeah. Ah, that's a bit of luck there for you as well. But good old BBC World Service. Eh? But no, look, brilliant, brilliant times. And it didn't feel any less real or intense when you were forced to listen to stuff on the radio or watch an entire game on Teletext. We've all been there. Remember that? Page 302. <laughs> Teletext. And then, uh, yeah, yeah, just sitting there waiting for a goal to go in and running around the living room because some pixels changed on the screen <laughs> you don't know you're born yes, i know they have no idea they're so spoiled nowadays they really are i was young when i started doing this show <laughs> listen to me now um, <laughs> talking of the lack of social media and all that kind of stuff uh, mike take us back to the uh to the one and only memory you you've you're bringing up um from the social media days back then yeah i mean just to give you a bit of a hint behind the scenes for these um these Palace Years pods, the plan was to find tweets and Facebook posts of, of anger and stuff we could joke about and read out. Um, it really turns out that Twitter was not popular then uh, and Facebook seemed to have archived a lot of their stuff. So I've had to resort to looking at my own statuses. Um, and April 2011, um, I posted a picture of me uh, with a beer in my hand pointing out that uh, Palace and beer, two of my favourite things, had finally come together and Palace Ale was available. Um, so I know it seems like Palace Ale has been here since the dawn of time and is the staple £4 pint. Um, but previously to that, we could not drink Palace Ale. And I remember getting it and thinking, I don't even really like this, but I'm going to make myself like it. And I still choose it as a beer now, uh, <laughs> just because it's 50p cheaper than San Miguel. So yeah. <laughs> Let's not forget as well, there's a huge contribution that Steve Browett made to the club in making sure we actually had beer to drink rather than warm bottles of Carlsberg. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they weren't much cheaper. I think it was £4 for a warm bottle of Carlsberg and it was offensive. So, yep. so for me, the, the biggest thing to take away from this season is we went through a horrible period, but we ended up, we, we had a club and the rebuilding that had to get done, it really comes down to, to a handful of individuals. You know, you're talking specifically Dougie Friedman mucking in in the summer, but where there was just nobody else about. There were no staff. There was barely any players. There wasn't a groundsman to do the to do the mowing, so he did it himself. 
you know, those kind of people are what make a football club uh, and what kept us going. And the fact that we then built a squad and we overcame adversity and one of our own then took charge and used the young players and built a squad and built a team that actually stayed in the division with a game to go. Um, and even though the last game of the season was horrific against Forest, we'd done the job we needed to do. And it gave us that opportunity to go into the summer, get things in place and start building a proper infrastructure around the club, which led to our later success and eventual promotion back to the Premier League, where we remain to this very, very day at the time of recording. So I personally would, would sum up that season as a very, very important transitional season for us where a huge amount of work was done that we continue to benefit from this day. So thank you very much for listening. And obviously we'll be back very soon with season 2011, 12 and more. Subscribe on to, on, uh, to our podcast on your chosen podcast feed. There'll still be love sports shows throughout the summer, uh, as well as a couple of these a week as we move forward. Thank you very much for your time. Cheers. Bye. Back of the nest, the palace years. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.